If you would, please join me in taking out your Bibles and turning to Psalm 32. As we turn to God's Word, let's also turn to Him in prayer and ask for His aid and assistance. Almighty God, our Heavenly Father, may Your Word before us be our rule. May Your Holy Spirit be our teacher. And may Your greater glory be our supreme concern. Through Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen. Well, here we are at week number 32 in our every summer psalm series, seeing all of life as worship through the psalms. As we've been seeing these psalms, these songs, uh, these prayers that have been part of uh, the life of God's people for a long, long time, for centuries, for God's people in the Old Testament, for God's people now, the church in the New Testament. It's a, it's a song and prayer book that God has, has given us to express ourselves to, uh, in worship, uh, worship on the Lord's Day as we sing psalms, uh, to express worship when we're in our homes at our places of, of work. It gives voice as it it helps express those emotions. As Calvin has said that the Psalms are like an anatomy of all the parts of the soul. The Psalms are what miserable Christians can sing. The Psalms are what joyful Christians can sing. And it's poetry. We, we slow down and our intellect is informed. Our emotions are aroused. Our wills are directed. Our imaginations are stimulated. We've already been seeing uh, just the past few weeks that the Psalms travel the depths of utter agony to the heights of astounding joy. And as they do that, they give words for believers to express our faith and trust in God, no matter the circumstances. And as we've been saying, when we read the Psalms, not as just some kind of book that we check out of the library, not as something we get at Amazon, it's not on our Kindle. No, when we read God's Word, the Psalms, by faith, with faith, we aren't just informed, although certainly we are informed, we are mysteriously transformed. Think about it. We we become more like Christ and who... What do we see Jesus over and over doing? He's using the Psalms in His his worship. He's referring to the Psalms as He disciples those first followers of His. The Psalms are a treasure for the church and we neglect them to our peril and we pay attention to them to our great benefit and I think that will be the case today as well. Well, here's a serious question. Um, When was the last time you admitted to yourself in private that you were wrong? Here's another question. When was the last time you admitted to others in public that you were wrong? Now why does it seem that the admission of wrongdoing is so rare? You know, it Somebody's arrested, and whether they're guilty or innocent, most often they plead not guilty. Then they go to trial. You've seen the, the 
politicians being interviewed on TV and they're asked about something that is clearly their responsibility and clearly they dropped the ball but there's no admission of wrongdoing. Why is it so difficult for people out there? Why is it so difficult for people in here? Why? Well, I believe a main reason, maybe the main reason, is the fear of consequences. The fear of consequences. However, in the long run, the consequences of refusing to admit wrongdoing are far more severe. Pay me now or pay me later. So the old, was it Midas, commercial said? This is a similar situation to what we find in Psalm 32 where David publicly recounts a time when after a period of resistance, he came to admit not only that he was wrong, but that he sinned. Now this is the second uh, penitential psalm thus far in the Psalter and the most well-known is probably Psalm 51 and we sing that often and in Psalm 51 David's well-known psalm of confession and repentance he cries out to God with these words cast me not away from your presence and take not your Holy Spirit from me restore to me the joy of your salvation and uphold me with a willing spirit then I will teach transgressors your ways, and sinners will return to you. Well, Psalm 32 could be the fulfillment of his promise to teach transgressors God's ways so that they would return to him. Now, if that's the case, then Psalm 32 could be understood as David's testimony of the curse as well as the blessing of covered sin. You see, our psalm is going to ask this question. Is your covered sin a blessing or is it a curse? Join with me now as I read Psalm 32, a mascal of David. That mascal is kind of a liturgical term that we don't really know what it means. It might be just think deeply, ponder this. Uh, this is a teaching, so... Be prepared to be instructed. So Psalm 32, a mascal of David. Blessed is the one whose transgression is forgiven, whose sin is covered. Blessed is the man against whom the Lord counts no iniquity, and in whose spirit there is no deceit. For when I kept silent, my bones wasted away. Through my groaning all day long, for day and night your hand was heavy. Upon me, my strength was dried up as by the heat of summer. Selah. I acknowledged my sin to you, and I did not cover my iniquity. I said, I will confess my transgressions to the Lord, and you forgave the iniquity of my sin. Selah. Therefore, let everyone who is godly offer prayer to you at a time when you may be found. Surely in the rush of great waters, they shall not reach him. You are a hiding place for me. You preserve me from trouble. You surround me with shouts of deliverance. Selah. I will instruct you and teach you in the way you should go. I will counsel you with my eye upon you. Be not like the horse or a mule without understanding, 
which must be curbed with bit and bridle, or it will not stay near you? Many are the sorrows of the wicked, but steadfast love surrounds the one who trusts in the Lord. Be glad in the Lord and rejoice, O righteous, and shout for joy, all you upright in heart. So let's unpack and explore Psalm 32 in order to answer, I kid you not, this life and death question. Is your covered sin a curse or is it a blessing? Well, we're not going to start with verse 1, but with verse 3. The curse of covered sin. The curse of unconfessed sin. Let's first of all explore his condition, David's condition. Notice David is silent. For when I kept silent. You know, the song says silence is golden. But here, silence leads to misery. And he, he pictures his situation. There's an image of inward toil and agony. And it's not merely poetic language. He, he says, day and night your hand was heavy upon me. My strength was dried up as by the heat of summer. Have you guys been driving in a car with like limited air conditioning lately? Yes, it's amazing. You get weak driving without air conditioning. It saps your energy. And David is expressing that he's got a physical component to something spiritual. And, and yes, of course, there's a relationship between body and soul. It makes sense. My, my strength, my moisture in the Hebrew, it, he, he's becoming dehydrated. You know, drowning in a flood seems horrific, doesn't it? A, a horrific way to drown. But the heat of summer being dehydrated and dried up is a horrific way to die as well. And David, in so many words, is saying, I'm dying. You see, David is facing the consequences of what kind of sin? Unconfessed sin. My favorite singer-songwriter from Paducah, Kentucky, in a song called Truth or Consequences, says this, Either truth or consequences, there's no other way. Push truth aside, the other takes its place. Well, you can close your eyes, but that won't make it go away. The truth or consequences must be faced. And David is facing the truth. He's facing the consequences. He's facing the consequences of covering his sin better the covering up of his sin. Now what happens when you and I cover up our sin? It results in a curse and misery. Our shorter catechism, question 17, asks what the results of the fall were. And the fall brings us into an estate of what? Sin and misery. It's interesting that sin is thought to be pleasurable for a time and worldly understanding yeah it is but it brings misery sooner or later misery 
the women are studying a book called Better Than Eden. And in chapter 4, the story of clothing, you see Adam and Eve, upon their sin, they realize they're naked. And they're running and hiding and trying to do what? Cover themselves up with items of their own making. Kids, you know the deal. Mom and dad say, do not touch X, right? You touch X and what happens? It breaks. And where do you go? Do you stand there initially waiting for mom and dad to come? What do you do? You run and hide. You run and hide. And we all do that in covering up our sin. And have you ever noticed how difficult it is to cover up sin? Because guess what covering up sin requires? It requires us to lie. To not tell the truth. And you know what one lie leads to another? It leads to another lie. If you want to cover up, you got to have a perfect memory. Why? Because you got to always keep the story straight. That's David. We see that as he's exposed in, in 2 Samuel by the prophet Nathan. And yet, Psalm 32 speaks what? Of blessing from the beginning. So how does, how's the move from curse, from misery, to blessing and joy? How's that move made? Well, we find it in verse 5. The uncovering and covering of sin. In other words, the confession of sin and the forgiveness of sin. You'll notice what takes place in verse 5 is action. I acknowledged my sin to you. The silence is broken. David speaks up. It takes wisdom to know when to speak and when to not speak. Here David is starting to demonstrate wisdom. He's speaking up. And he's acknowledging his sin comprehensively. Let me read verse 5 and then we'll unpack it. I acknowledged my sin to you, and I did not cover my iniquity. I said, I will confess my transgressions to the Lord, and you forgave the iniquity of my sin. There are three words having to do with sin and rebellion. There's transgression, rebellion. There's sin, going astray. There is iniquity. Twisting the truth. David is is trying to get his arms around what he has done. And now what he's doing. And notice he confesses his sin. He confesses his transgressions. And you forgave the iniquity of my sin. There is an immediate response. It's within the same verse. Notice there is no selah between his acknowledgement and God's forgiveness. Often we believe that the Selah means you stop and read other passages of Scripture. But here, David is saying it's so connected, it's so immediate that we don't even need to stop and pause and bring other things in. It's it's like in 2 Samuel 12, 13, David said to Nathan, I have sinned against the Lord. And Nathan said to David, the Lord also has put away your sin. You will not die. 
It's immediate. God removes objective guilt and removes subjective shame so that his inner anguish, as we will see, is gone. In, uh, in the words of Augustine, the church father of the 4th and 5th centuries, he says this, The word is scarcely in his mouth before the wound is healed. In the hymn from 1875, hymn number 55, To God be the glory. In verse 2 we hear these words, The vilest offender who truly believes that moment from Jesus, forgiveness receives. We are an instant society, aren't we? Instant coffee, instant, I mean, email's not quick enough. There's got to be instant messenger, direct messenger, a fax machine. Who has used a fax machine in a long time? It's, it's slow. We need it instant. Not a day goes by when I email usually a group of people and I get back those auto replies, right? I'm out of the office. I'm on vacation. We've all gotten them, right? Well, this is not God's auto-reply. This is not like God is out of the office and He just says you're forgiven. No, God is in His office and His reply is not automatic, so to speak, but rather it's planned, it's deliberate, it's costly. You see, there is a basis for forgiveness. There's a basis for God's covering of sin. If we were to sing, Come Ye Sinners, today we would sing that He is willing, He is able to forgive. It's one thing to be willing to forgive. It's another thing to be able to forgive. God is willing and able to forgive. It's the work of Christ. It's the atonement. His death as a perfect substitute and sacrifice that all of the Old Testament sacrificial system points to. You see, David is looking ahead to the work of Christ and we are looking back to the once for all work of Christ on the cross. Matthew Henry, the 17th and 18th century Bible commentator, says this, when he reflects upon verse 5, God is more ready to pardon sin upon our repentance than we are to repent in order to the obtaining and pardon. In other words, God is more willing and able to forgive us than we are willing and able to confess our sins. Wow. Do you know that God are you in relationship with that God who's ready to listen and to forgive in a greater degree than we are willing to admit our sin? Over and over in Scripture we read about His steadfast love, His faithfulness. In a moment we'll talk about Exodus 34 where God describes Himself as gracious and merciful. It doesn't look like it in English, but in Hebrew, verse 5 is the longest verse in this psalm. It's the center. Look at it. It's 11 verses. Where's the center? Kids, what's half of 11? Help me out. Five and a half, right? 
There it is, the exact middle of the psalm. The pivot point, it's where it turns. And with confession, you see, David turns from being cursed to being blessed. And so we see now the blessing of covered that is confessed and forgiven sin. And we see it in the first two verses and we see it in verses 6 to the end of the chapter. Verses 1 and 2 state the blessing and verses 6 through 11 unfold the blessing. Let's look at verses 1 and 2, and we see there that the blessing is comprehensive. You see, transgression or rebellion is forgiven. Sin or going astray is covered. Iniquity, that is twisting the truth, God counts no iniquity. It really is the echo of Exodus 34, 6 and 7. The Lord, the Lord, a God merciful and gracious slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness, keeping steadfast love for thousands. And here it is, forgiving iniquity and transgression of sin. God announces this at the time Israel had sinned, right? He didn't wait for them to get their act together as if they could. He announces His willingness to forgive, to pardon. And notice at the end of verse 2, and in whose spirit there is no deceit. No deceit. You see, he hasn't deceived himself any longer about the other three. He's acknowledged that he's transgressed, that he's sinned, that his actions are full of iniquity. He's acknowledged that. There's no deceit. He's come clean. This blessing is as comprehensive as the sin. Well, in verses 6 through 11, we see the blessing is not so much comprehensive as it is specific. And these verses picture the blessing as a mutual relationship between the promises of God and the responsibilities of His people. Uh, Let's look at the promises of God, or in other words, the responsibility of God. Look at verse 7. You are a hiding place for me. You preserve me. You surround me. What have we seen in the Psalms thus far? Especially David in his situation. There is no place of safety. There is no refuge apart from the Lord. That's what David is saying. God will hide him, preserve him, surround him. And in verse 8, God will instruct and teach you. He will counsel you with his eye upon you. And then down in verse 10, steadfast love surrounds the one who trusts the Lord, who trusts him enough to confess his sin. God has promised to be a hiding place. To be a place where you are preserved. To instruct and teach you. His steadfast love surrounds the one who trusts the Lord. Well, in addition to the promises of God or the responsibilities of God are the responsibilities of God's people. We see in verse 6, there's the responsibility to pray. In other words, confess sin. Therefore, let everyone who is godly offer prayer to you at a time when you may be found. 
We, we, we heard in our call to worship from Isaiah, seek the Lord while he may be found. Pray, confess sin. And then down in verse 9, don't be like a horse or a mule without understanding, which must be curbed with bit and bridle or it will not stay near you. In other words, to pray, excuse me, to obey out of love and gratitude, to not be like a horse or a mule without understanding. You see, God desires conscious, thoughtful obedience to his word of direction, not the enforced conformity of a harnessed animal. Kids, adults, you're more important than a horse that has to be bridled and forced and trained to go in some direction. No. God is saying, my friends, it goes beyond forgiveness. It goes to friendship. It goes to love. If you love me, Jesus says, you'll obey me. And again in verse 10, to trust God for His steadfast love. And look at verse 11. What is the responsibility? What is that blessing? To be glad in the Lord, to rejoice, to shout for joy. All who? Who are upright in heart. Not, as we will see in a moment, not who are sinless, but who have been forgiven. Indeed, as Isaiah says in Isaiah 61, 10, I will greatly rejoice in the Lord. My soul shall exult in my God, for He has clothed me with garments of salvation. He has covered me with the robe of righteousness. And so blessing is found both in God's promise and our responsibility. You see, whereas our covering or our covering up of sin results in sin and misery, God's covering of our sin results in blessing and joy. You see, righteousness that is described here is not earned by somehow being perfect, but it's rather granted by a gracious God in the context of what? Confession, surrender, trust. With his confession, David has been forgiven. He's been covered. Go back and look at verse 3 and 4. Wasted away, groaning, hand was heavy, strength was dried up. You see, with the forgiveness, all of that is turned around. He's going to have a clear conscience. The inner turmoil is gone. The weakness will be dissipated and there will be strength in the Lord. And so what feels like death is actually the path to life. You see, there's only one route as Psalm 32 shows us. How do you get from being cursed to being blessed? Coming back home from North Carolina yesterday, I used my phone to check out traffic and it recommended a couple of different routes. One longer, one shorter. I'm sure you've all seen this, right? There's multiple ways to get from here to there. But guess what? According to Psalm 32, according to God's Word, according to God, there is only one road 
that goes from the city of curse to the city of blessing. Kids, back in the old days, there often was just one road. You know, we're sitting right here on the road from Cincinnati to Lexington. That's how you got here. Got there. You had to take this road. This is the one road from curse to blessing. It's confession. So what is the nature of true blessing? Well, here's a good summary of verses 1 and 2. Happy are those who recognize they are not righteous and know what to do about it. Right? Happy are those who recognize that they have a problem and they know what to do about it. Who's blessed? Is it the people that have never sinned? No, it's the one who's been forgiven. Remember earlier we heard from... uh, Romans 3, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. And we heard from Romans 4, 6 and 8, just as David also speaks of the blessing of the one to whom God counts righteousness apart from works. Blessed are those whose lawless deeds are forgiven and whose sins are covered. Blessed is the man against whom the Lord will not count his sin. You see, people who are blessed are the people who know that they need to be forgiven and people that have experienced forgiveness. We said earlier that the Psalms are like an x-ray. They can see inside of you. None of us have the ability to see inside the other with complete accuracy, right? So hear this coming from God's Word. If any of you right now, at this very moment, are attempting to cover your sin, you attempting to cover your sin, that is really to cover up your sin, if you're attempting to ignore your sin, attempting to hide it from God, then Here's the word of counsel from God's word. Acknowledge your sin, your transgression, your iniquity to the Lord. And what's going to happen? You're going to receive His covering, His forgiveness. Proverbs 28.13 says it pretty straight up. Whoever conceals his transgressions will not prosper. But he who confesses and forsakes them will obtain Mercy. Remember, David was in turmoil. He was resisting and he was weak. He was resisting and his strength was sapped. I want you to consider that being miserable is actually God's mercy. So if any of you are miserable, not because of outward circumstances, but because of inward turmoil, then recognize that it's God's mercy that you're miserable. He hasn't given you over. The loss of strength in verses 3 and 4 is really a mercy because what does it do? It drives the believer to the presence and promises of God. And again, look with me at the center of Psalm 32, verse 5. Again, God is more willing and able to forgive than we are willing to confess and repent. 
You see, our confession of sin is often reluctant and slow. God's forgiveness is what? Eager and immediate. See, the atonement for sin is complete. We do not atone for our sin. There's nothing we can do to make up for it. What we have to do with our sin is to confess it. We cannot atone for our sin. Every other religion in one way or another is about atoning for sin. The sin has been atoned for. Jesus has died. Jesus has risen. So when was the last time you admitted you were wrong? When was the last time you confessed your sin? If you're on the road to confession right now, in other words, if you're on the way from curse to blessing, stay on it. Stay on the road. It's a lifetime road. You won't get off the road until the end. But you know what? There's a couple of ditches on either side of the road of confession. One is the ditch of privacy. My sin is nobody's business. Stay out. I'll deal with it when I want to. My friends, a ditch is a lousy place to travel. But on the other side, for those of you saying, hey, I'm not in that ditch, the other ditch is the ditch of perfection. You are just paralyzed by the shoulds, the, the coulds of life, the ought-tos of life. You can be in the ditch of privacy, or you can be in the ditch of perfection, thinking you're going to do it on your own. But what are you afraid of? Is it the consequences of confession? I hope by now that we all see, and we're all growing in our awareness, that the consequences of not confessing our sin are far greater, far more severe than confessing our sin. We hear it often. If we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us, to cover us, as it were, from all unrighteousness. You see, God is faithful, He's just, and we know God is merciful and gracious. You see, my friends, when we cover up our sin the only result is curse. Our days are full of misery. But when we uncover our sin, and when God covers our sin, the result is what? Not curse, but blessing. And our days are going to be full of joy, deep, solid joy, no matter the circumstances swirling around us. So my friends, I leave you with this from God's Word. One way or another, our sins will be covered. They'll either be covered up or covered over. So the question raised by Psalm 32 cannot be ignored and cannot go unanswered. The question is this, who, who's covering your sin? You or God? Let's pray. Almighty God, our Heavenly Father, we 
stand amazed that the transition from curse to blessing can be made so quickly, so immediately. And yet, Father, we acknowledge that it takes us, oh, so long to get to that moment of transition. Father, would you be pleased to enable all of your people to be quick to confess, quick to repent, knowing that you have promised to forgive, you have promised to cover. And Father, we are ashamed of the ways that we try to cover our sin and make ourselves look good when that true garment that covers us, the robe of righteousness was so costly to Jesus. Father, we thank you for his perfect life of obedience. We thank you for his sacrificial and substitutionary death for the rebellious life of transgression, iniquity, and sin that we live. And we thank you, Father, that on the cross, Jesus defeated sin and death once for all. Help us, Father, to hate our own efforts to cover our sin and help us to rejoice at your covering our sins in Christ, in whose name we pray. Amen.